Lord Jesus Christ, you've given us so much, but give us one more thing, generous hearts, through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, I always forget to send this around, but today I'm going to try not to forget, so pass that around. Mark it several times if you like. You know, we send that back to the home office. Everyone know what's going on. Vote twice. That's all good. Uh, There's a basket on the table. We'll send some money to Russia if you put something in there. That'll be fantastic too. Uh, Let's see. We're going to go another cup. You know, this week, next week, maybe the next week. We'll see how it goes. Then Peter wants to um, have you sing a little bit. He wants to goof around with you, and um, you know, you know, who knows what is. in that, in that genius mind. I, who knows which way he's going to take you. The Pontus was wonderful. The, what was, oh, the Pontus was wonderful. It yeah. was, you know. Every Tuesday I get together with Peter and Philip, and it's like, it's like this tidal wave of musical stuff coming at me. And I, I, I try to paddle parallel to the shore until I can swim back and be safe. That's <laughs> the normal. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they're wonderful, they are. So, you know, all the stuff that they do. No, it was... Um, you know, we're trying, you know, I mean, you know where we're going with this. We're trying to do the liturgy out of the hymnal, but then recognize the broader church. So a few things, we pull some things in, like the Alleluia verse, which is very nice. And then we want to um, always have uh, a bit of Gregorian stuff, so we get some ancient stuff. That's kind of coming back in Lutheranism. There's actually a Gregorian society of Lutheran pastors and lay people in St. Louis, I guess, that kind of meets every week and sings and stuff like that. I don't know if you never ever talked to you about that. I got to remind you. There's there's this group that does sing. Um, uh, you could start one here, uh, and then you know the Taze stuff and and you know having fun with that. So we'll just you know that's kind of the mix that we're going for. We want to stay within the one holy Catholic Apostolic Church. So we want to be recognized as part of the big picture, and then whatever our unique contribution to that is. So it's kind of fun. So anyway, we'll go a week or two. We'll probably go next week. Probably, maybe the next week. I don't know. But then. Peter, like, I have about three weeks to sing with you and talk about some stuff and think about chant and sing some songs and, you know, maybe he's secretly recruiting. Who knows what the music department is up to? So we'll probably do that um, in the sanctuary in a couple of weeks, okay? Anything else we should think about or do? Thanks for coming in the summer. I never actually know whether you want to have some time here or time off. So, you know, probably what we'll do is when Peter gets done, we'll probably take a few weeks off. There'll be three or four weeks there until uh, Holy Cross Sunday, or maybe the week after that we'll get started again. So you can have a few weeks and drink coffee, but then we'll, we'll sort of get back after it. Uh, questions about anything? The vicar's had a, the past vicar now, about, the new vicar's about to come. Um, David Bukes and his wife helped me somebody, Jessica. Did we get it right, Jessica? Is it Jessica? One child and one child on the way, and uh, seems like a nice guy. Spent last year in Oberusel, which is our German sister seminary. So he's had a year at Fort Wayne and a year in Germany. So um, that should be good. You know, if your kids need German lessons, I guess, you know, between Gunter and, uh, you know, this is the, the new vicar, that's the way to go. So, you know, all is well. Anything at all? Y'all good? All right. Um, so First John 4. Now, I gave you uh, the, pa- the very first page that I gave you was the very first page that we did this summer, way back in May, with this notion of holy reading. So I just want to remind you, this um, Lectio Divina, which is gaining, it's so interesting because it's gaining more and more currencies, primarily because it has a resurgence in the Catholic Church, but evangelicals are picking up on it as well. So you'll often see, as I kind of read broadly, you see people given reference to it now. And I think I told you that when I went to Wheaton College, there it was hanging on the wall in the, you know, the, the graduate seminar I was doing was how you teach kids to, you know, come to church. 
And there on the wall were the steps for the Lectio Divina, which is just, you know, crazy stuff in a good way because it means the church is all coming together. So, you know, read the text slowly. In fact, yesterday I found, or the day before, maybe Friday at, at work, I found when Father Patrick Henry Reardon came, very famous guy, and he did a Saturday seminar here. And I just kind of read through a couple of pages of what he talked about praying the Psalms. And the very first thing he said, pray the Psalms slowly and out loud. And it's interesting because that's exactly what this says. So you take a text, you read slowly, you think about the text, what strikes you, you pray the text, what's in there to pray. So example, so for example, you saw today in Peter's, you know, sort of brilliant rendition of the 23rd Psalm, you know, you had the notion in the gospel reading of Jesus coming and being the new Moses. By the way, that was about as good a sermon as Pastor Nelson has ever given. There was so much going on in that sermon, but very... It's, it just was very, you know, that, the, to be able to say it very simply is the key, you know, to be able to say things very simple. And he said a lot of things, but he said them very simply. So, you know, one of the things is that Jesus becomes the new, the new Moses. So he's the new shepherd for the sheep. And then Peter sings that and all the pieces kind of fit together. So, and then of course you can pray that. You pray, you know, O Lord, our good shepherd, very common. And we've had the shepherd icon up before. So you pray the text, and then you sit in the presence of that and uh, see what good the words have for you. Now, it's the practical aspect that we're at today in 1 John 4. So, you know, what, this is way back in May, I said to you, 1 John 1, 1 and 2, the hearable, seeable, touchable, word-made flesh. That's the key to everything in life. The hearable, seeable, touchable, word-made flesh. That is the baseline for everything. I got a, I got a letter last week from... Um, Somebody who was at Arcadia the week I was there, and they said, you know, okay, I'm ready to take this seriously, but I'm, I'm, an, I'm fairly new at this, and I have no idea what to do. How do I, this is a very simple question, how do I know when what I think is my thought, and how do I know when what I think is Jesus' thought? It's a very, very good question. Because people have, people have thoughts all the time, and people are very, frank, frankly, much too often say, oh, the Holy Spirit is speaking to me, or Jesus is speaking to me. I'm like, actually, that's just, you've just got indigestion. That's not really... <laughs> You know, that's a spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit, okay? So, I mean, but it's a very honest question. And the baseline answer, and I've given it to you a couple of ways, which is there's, there's the same answer given in two ways. One way is light and darkness, light and darkness, light and darkness. Well, what's light and what's darkness? Light is the seeable, hearable, touchable flesh of Jesus. So the hearable, seeable, touchable Jesus comes today and he sees these people like sheep without a shepherd and he sits them down he puts him in order. You sit over there. You're sitting at the kids' table. You go over there, which means he's being father to them, and then he feeds them, and he lets them rest, and it says he had compassion on them, so he taught them. So basically, he bundled up everything they needed, and he took care of them, right? That's what the hearable, seeable, touchable Jesus does for you. That's light. Anything that's not hearable, seeable, touchable Jesus is antichrist. That's what we're going to hear today, and that's why... The Eucharist is so important because for you, that's hearable, seeable, touchable Jesus. When the, when the host is on your tongue, that's Jesus touching you the way he touched people and he healed them. When the host is on your tongue, that's Jesus feeding you just the way he fed the 5,000, you know? There's a reason there's 12 baskets because there are 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 tribes go out to the whole world. It's, it's genius how that is all constructed. So how do you know when you're talking and how do you know when Jesus is talking? Or better would say... How do you know when Jesus is talking and how do you know somebody anti-Jesus, anti-Christ or devilish is talking? How do you know the answer is the flesh of Jesus? 
and the ultimate flesh of Jesus is on the cross. So if it goes with the cross, and this is great Luther stuff then, if it goes with the cross, you, you, you hold on to it. You swing toward it and hold on to it. And if it doesn't go with the cross, if it doesn't go, if it doesn't go with the crucified flesh of Jesus on the cross, then it doesn't. Then you don't hold on to it. That's the reason a body on the cross above the altar, that's the reason it's there. That is the, that is the litmus test for what is true and godly. And anything that denies that is devilish and antichrist. That is light. Everything else is darkness. It's a very simple test case. How do I know when it's me speaking or sin speaking? How do I? Because because you are you know brought into the life, so sometimes you you hopefully speak and do as Jesus speaks and does. So the question is, how do you know when your actions and your words are consonant or consistent or part of a participation in the divinity of Christ? How do you know? How do you know when it's Christ speaking? How do you know it's antichrist? Okay, it's light versus darkness. Well, what's light and what's darkness? It's the flesh of Jesus versus the denial of flesh of Jesus. He came, that's God, that's for me, flesh of Jesus. He didn't come, that's not God, that's not for me. That's Antichrist. And later in this text about verse 17, we're going to talk about how, and it was at the end of three, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. If your fleshly heart condemns you, the flesh of Jesus is greater. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. If, if some days your heart is anti-Christ. I won't listen, I won't obey, I won't do, I won't give, I won't serve, I won't love. If our hearts condemn us, nobody loves me. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. You know, If our hearts are anti-Christ, Christ is still Christ. You got it? That's the litmus test for everything that's going on. So you have this, um, you know, this beautiful way. This is point two here. From the very first day, the incarnation is everything. Everything is sacramental. Everything is incarnational. Everything is liturgical. Everything is touchable, seeable, hearable, tasteable, forever and ever. Amen. Now the question is, practically speaking, what does that mean? And that's where we are today in 1 John 4. So spin your Bible open there, okay? 1 John 4. It's a beautiful, uh, it's just a beautiful text, okay? And I've tried to give you a very quick summary. There's not quite, hmm, it's going to be a problem for me. Uh, I can't see quite as well as I used to, which is a little bit of an issue. Um, you know, I can read you one, one translation, another. First John 4, this is the practical life, okay? Hold on. But do not trust any and every spirit, my friends. Everybody who stands on a street corner, I was home over just to see my mom for a day. She said, this guy that she's known who, frankly, I think is a kook, but, you know, he's like, oh, he's going to start his own church. I'm like, man, good luck with that. Uh, you know, don't trust every spirit, you know. Don't trust any and every spirit, my friends. You're my friends. Actually, the um, Greek says agapathoi, agape." agape toy, which would be beloved or lovers or the ones being loved or the ones who show love. It's all wrapped up together. And I think your text probably says beloved. No, it says dear friends. But it should be, I mean, that's not strong enough. The ones, sorry? What does yours say? Yours says beloved. So I'm reading the NIV, you know, and, you know, we don't always like the NIV. You're probably reading the ESV, which is good. 
So there is a back step and then a step forward. It's good that it says beloved. The NIV said dear friends. Beloved is much better. King James says beloved. But that means the ones who are loved and loving into loving other people, beloved. You know, don't trust everybody. Don't trust everything. Instead, you test the spirits and see whether they are from God. And so I've given you um, that word test. That's all over the scriptures, that word test. That's the very first point on the thing for today. Discern or approve or test or sift. So your whole life is figuring out you know, what comes from God and what doesn't come from God. You don't have to be mean-spirited about it. But everybody always, uh, you know, every place people, well, maybe it's just me because of what I do, but, you know, every email that comes into my box is telling me what God is saying. And nine out of ten times, I don't recognize that as being the spirit of Christ. So, you know, how do you test it? And this is what you're supposed to do now. You know, you're given to, you get the Eucharist, you are baptized, the word is preached to you, the word is read to you, you hear Peter sing the word, you know, we sing it in the hymns. The hymns are particularly good today, particularly word-worthy today. They were played well, the liturgy is there, you get your sins forgiven. That's not the end of the game, that's the beginning of the game. And now you're going to leave here and in your own life you're going to try to figure out what it means to live as somebody who's beloved. What's the first step? You've got to sift. As soon as you walk out the doors, and sometimes in churches, even before you walk out the doors, you've got all kinds of things coming at you, all kinds of people saying, this is what Jesus wants, this is what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, not most of it, mm, I don't know, you know? So you have to sift, you have to discern. I mean, you, you, if you grew up, you know, we, we drove through Iowa yesterday, you know, part of the deal is, you know, you have a sieve. Any good farm has a sieve, you shake it, you, you know, you've got stuff you want to save, and Stuff that drops away. There's wheat and there's chaff. Your whole life is meant to be sieving, testing, approving. Now, here's the deal. You have to know something. You've got to have a sieve in order to sieve, right? You've got to actually have a tool. What's the tool? The flesh of Christ. So everything that comes to you. So I just gave you the easiest one in Wheaton. The easiest one in Wheaton by far is the denial of the real presence in the Eucharist. Now, before you call all your friends on your cell phones, <laughs> call them Antichrist. Um, you know, people can get some things wrong and still be within the pale of the kingdom. They can, you know, you can. We all get some things wrong. We've all got, we all got some heresy hanging around inside of us. So I'm not, I'm not saying you know, get out the pitchforks and the torches. What I'm saying is, there are just some things that are so obvious, like. There's a reason the church for 1,500 years, everybody, and then for 2,000 years, most people, confessed that the body and blood were in the Eucharist. There was a reason that for 1,500 years, the body was on the, on the cross. It only got removed when people denied the, whole, the Eucharist in the supper, and they didn't want a reminder. They didn't want anybody to misunderstand that maybe Jesus was in there. That's the only reason the body came off the cross. Before that, everywhere, all the time, the, bo- it's, it's, the body is there, Okay. So there's your test case. Your test case is the touchable, seeable, hearable flesh of Jesus. And the Eucharist is by far the easiest one. That's by far, you know, you deny the fleshly presence, that's, that's a mark of the Antichrist. You know, now, small a, everybody relax. You know, everybody's got that in them. I mean, we have Antichrist in us all the time. When we gossip, when we lie, when we say bad things about people, when we're miserly, that's all Antichrist too. So don't kind of think, you know, those people out there and us in here. But the point is to root all of that out. And Jesus gives you the sieve. And a Eucharist that doesn't confess the body of Christ would fall through the sieve on the ground. 
the Eucharist that confesses the body, and so everything is there. There's a little crucifix on the altar. There's a big crucifix right above. There are five crosses for the wounds. The linens are the same as the, you know, as the cloths that are in the Easter graveside. Everything. The body of Christ. Amen, you say. The blood of Christ. Amen, you know. Uh, the great Aquinas song that we sing, Peter, quote me the first line because I'm going blank on it. What's the first line of the Aquinas song? Hidden, sp- thee, we thee we adore. Yeah. In what's the? How's it go? What's the next line? Thee we adore, Philip. Oh, hidden Savior, dear. Yes. So thee we adore. Thank you very much. Thee we adore. You see, we adore you because you're hidden inside that bread. We know you're there. Make sense? So that yeah, he's a good boy. He is a good boy. He's the best 18-year-old I know. He's a very good young man, so there you go. Quite remarkable stuff. And that discern text is all over. Test yourselves, test the spirits. Um, you know, test yourself before you come to the Holy Supper. You kneel down, we confess. You got a moment to test yourself. What was in me this week that was horrible. You test yourself and you leave that behind. And the great thing about, you know, the priests weep as they go up to the altar You've tested yourself. You've found your weaknesses. You do the same thing. Before you come and kneel down, you test yourself. You leave that all behind. You come and you're touched by the body of Christ. Okay, That's all behind this. You have to remember, this is the same John who wrote a whole gospel about being sacramental. So your job, how do you practically live? This is way, the first week ties up with the seventh or eighth week. Practically speaking, what does it mean? It means you walk out and you test everything you've got by the body of Christ. Does that make sense? Okay, you got it? If it doesn't go with the body of Christ, and body means rose on Easter, hung on the cross, died for your atonement, teaches you how to live, says to you, follow me, baptized you. If it doesn't go with the body of Christ, you push that away as Antichrist. And you know the rest of the story. If you touch Antichrist, it'll gradually wear you down and beat you down and hurt you and take you away. And if you touch Christ, it'll gradually build you up and make you stronger and strengthen you for the work ahead. And you can be some use to Christ. Okay, that's all tied up in here. Don't trust every and every. Don't trust any and every spirit, my friends. Test the spirits, sieve them, to see whether they are from God. For among those who have gone out into the world, there are many prophets falsely inspired. They got a whiff of something different, and it felt good, and they talk about it. This is how we may recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit which acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. In the flesh. That's the key word. Everybody who acknowledges that Jesus Christ was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary, that God, the second person of the Trinity, left heaven to come to you. Every person that acknowledges that is from God. And every spirit which does not then acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So the Christmas is the great acid test and Easter and Eucharist. But if you say, is Jesus Christ fully God in fully human nature? The answer, yes. Now you can proceed to the next step. If the answer is no, you've got trouble going forward. This is what is meant by Antichrist. You have been told that he was to come, and he's here already, in the world already. So the first, the first mark of the Antichrist is he denies that Jesus was the Savior in flesh and blood. Okay, So just be careful with that. Um, we rejoice in the flesh and blood. You may not be, you know, we talked about a lot of icons, and you may not be rejoicing in that uh, quite as gorily as Western tradition does. We talked about the East doesn't do that quite as much, and how you have this great flesh and blood of the transfiguration that 
resets your whole image of what your life is. But flesh and blood, flesh and blood. Light and darkness, flesh and blood. Okay? It's really easy. It's a simple test. Living it out is often difficult, but it's a simple test. If people... If, you don't, if, people, if you're not at the point where people are saying Jesus Christ is God incarnate, incarnate in the flesh, then you have a different conversation. You're having a non-Christian conversation. That, by the way, just so you know, doesn't mean that you yell at people. Uh, more and more, you know, as I get older, I know, well, here's the thing. You laugh because you've got some experience with this. More and more I understand how people confuse volume and quantity with quality. So if you yell at people a lot and give them a lot of hell, then you did a great job with them. You need only enough law, only enough judgment to create doubt and sorrow. There's no, you just need to upend it. And sometimes that's very gently. You can, you can say the law in the gentlest possible way in a very soft voice. You know, like, I don't think that's exactly right. You know, or maybe you should think about this. We're past the age where people are, it's not tent revival time in America. We're past the age when you're going to yell people into anything. We are in a time, uh, we're even past the time when people are going to be reasoned into anything. Uh, it's my fault, I stepped under something. I, it was me. I got to not move. Um, we're past the time where you're going to argue people into anything. You're going to live people into something. So, you know, downstairs, I mean, is there, you know, is there a better picture of Eden than, all, I mean, this morning, it was great. I looked at one point, and there, were, there was a center of the room, and kids were running in all directions. I was like, this is perfect, man. And I said to somebody, nobody's crying, and they said back to me, yeah, but somebody just threw up. I'm like, okay, you know, here's the thing. We were so close. I mean, we were so close. So, but we'll take that, you see. We'll take that. We were close. We were, nobody was crying. You probably had 10, 15 kids running in all directions. Nobody's crying. Okay, you know, somebody just threw up. Okay, you know, this side of the kingdom. But, you know, that's why people are coming to church. Um, let me just urge, I was actually thinking about this is true this morning. Let me urge you, if you're under the age of 35 with children, stand on the tile when you drink your coffee. Not because I'm afraid you'll spill, but because I want, to, I want other people who are under the age of 35 with children who walk in to see that you're here. Because people, young parents with kids, join congregations. Why? Not because there are old duffer guys around. Because there are other young parents with kids. So really, and I'm being serious about this. If you're under the age of 35 and you have kids, or under the age of 40, even you have kids, move toward the door. You don't even have to say anything. I'm being really serious. You don't even have to say anything. Because when they walk in, what do they think? This place is... Welcoming, rocking, safe, my place. Hey, there are other people like me. I can meet somebody. And hey, there's a kid throwing up. We're home. <laughs> right? And I, I am being serious. I'm being serious about that. You should all kind of get together and move closer to the door. I don't care about the carpet. What I care about is the stranger walking in the door. Yes, David. How about that? That Nelson, he can find... He's, he's a pastor who can find anything he wants in a text. <laughs> it actually is a great model for the church. I was, I was seeing... I'm older demographic, so he's thinking... What, was, what were the two words? Reclining and drinking? You know what two words got to me? Rest and leisure. <laughs> so 
I'm on the all adults cruise, and, and Nelson's boat is just behind me. With you know, the, he's on the Disney cruise. I'm on the all adult, you know, we'll dress for dinner cruise. But both in the way of Jesus, you know. If you're under 35 and you got kids, move to the front. That's the Disney cruise. All the rest of you, look for the soft seats toward the rear. And don't bother us. And don't bother us. We like to sleep through the night, eight hours, you know. I mean, we don't, there's no, I got nothing to give at 3 a.m. Don't wake me. That, that word reclining. Yes. Is, King James says, try the spirit. That's, that's the there old, you go. The old that's the old word for it. Just, yes, refining, that's right. As by fire, purified as by fire, right? So anyway, there you go. So that's your first, um, your first thing is, you know, sifting. The second thing I've given you there is loving, and you get this in the next part now, okay? But you, my children, are of God's family, and that's a great way to talk. You're family people. This is God's family, and you have the mastery over these false prophets. I don't know if you recognize that. I'm struck now, and of course, we had a really bad week last week in America, and um, there's a lot of evil in the world, and, you know, hardly... There's hardly anything safer than, you know, going to the movies, right? I mean, gee whiz. There's hardly anything. We had a bad week, and you can feel like you're being overcome. Here's the thing. It's a push and a pull in the world. The, wor- the world, I mean, the Lord has conquered this world, but it's not, he's not quite mopped everything up, okay? So there's still a lot of evil tearing around in the world. And, and there, it's always going to be this back and forth. And, and it's even going to happen in us. You know, we're going to have times when, you know, sort of evil seems to get ahead. And, and then, sift, 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 love, 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 sift, sift, love, love, sift, love, sift, love. Then you gain mastery again. Okay? So until we drop dead, I saw the greatest quote by St. Bernadette. And she said it about the Virgin Mother, but I'm going to reform it for your own personal use because you might not feel the way Gaining does about the Virgin Mother. So, um, are you listening? Are you listening, Gaining? Are you listening? So, uh, she was a mystic. You know, she saw things, which is, you know, neither here nor there for right now. But um, there's this great quote where she said, I came across where she said, once you've seen her, you're willing to die to see her again. I was like, man, that's it. Once you've seen paradise, once you've seen the church, once you've seen Christ, once you've seen the Virgin Mother, once you've seen Jesus in the flesh, once you've seen it, you see, once you've seen paradise, you're willing to die to see it again. I mean, do you understand what that means? Do you understand what that's like? Once you've seen it, once you've had a glimpse of what love is, once you understand what it means for God to be in the flesh, once you've seen how the Holy Trinity plays nice with each other, once you understand that love is the glue that holds the universe together, once you've been with people who live as a family, once you've seen it, you're willing to die to see it again. It, it takes the bitterness out of your death. You know, once you've seen it, you're willing to die to see it again. I mean, that is genius stuff from a mother of the church. Once you've seen it, you're willing to die to see it again. Boom. That's what you want. And that's what they're talking about here. You know, hold on. You have mastery over these false products prophets because he who inspires you gives you a spirit brings you in divine participation gives you his gifts is greater than he who inspires the godless world and we did this you know we've done this a couple of times one of the things that's helpful to me is i'm starting to see that we're themes are repeating themselves and you've got these themes now as your 
should be baseline stuff down in you. So you remember we talked a few years ago about how people are angry and then you know you can kill everybody if you want, but you'll get killed too. But the other side of that was mercy and love. And how can you be merciful and love people who are being mean to you? Do you remember the answer? What was the remember? How can you have hope? How can you have hope in a world that's so cruel? How? Do you remember? If you remember that, Jesus will sort it out. Exactly. Jesus will push it to the end. So you say when, when people are angry or people have been abusive towards you or people have blown things up or somebody's killed you, you, so many people innocently and hurt so many people, you say you don't minimize that pain at all, but you say that's not the end, that's not the last word. And we don't need to be like that. We will not give in to that. We will not be angry. We will we'll not lie. We will not gossip. We will not hurt. We will not destroy. We will not hate. We will not do that because... Jesus will sort it out. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He'll sort it out, and because of that, you can live hopefully. So we, we suffer all these things. And we're in a good patch right now. You know, we're not suffering much at all. We've got a few things to clean up, but you know what? We're always going to have a few things to clean up. We live hopefully because Jesus will sort it out. Here it is right here. You've got this competition in the world between Christ and Antichrist, but you yourselves, as Christians, have mastery over it. Why? Because he's given you his spirit. Where did he do that? when he baptized you, when he gives you his Eucharist. You never get the Son without the Father and the Spirit. They all come together. So when you're touched by holy things, the Holy Trinity lives in you and strengthens you and guides you and loves you, keeps you safe, right? That's what's happening here. So, you, my children, are God's family. You have mastery over these false prophets, over this false world, over this evil world. Because he who inspires you is greater than he who inspires the godless world. The fix is in. Jesus is the winner. Just hold on. That's why you can be hopeful, because Jesus is the winner. They are of that world, that evil world, that corrupt world, that anti-Eden, anti-Christ world, and so, therefore, is their teaching. And that's why the world listens to them. You know, everybody starts out broken. And if somebody tells you the world is broken, that's easy to... It's easy to get followers because that's their experience. But we belong to God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. We belong to God. He puts his name on us at baptism. He owns us. We belong to God, and a man who knows God listens to us, while he who does not belong to God refuses us a hearing. Okay? This is how we distinguish sift, truth from error. You know, this is how we do it. Um, okay, you good? That was all just the sifting part. So the year, uh, the summer after I graduated from college, I went to Alaska. I don't think I've ever told you this. Very few I've told you. Um, I lived on an island for the summer and built a church for the Clinket Indians um, along with, you know, 20 other people. And or something like that, and, and it was very an interesting experience for a range of reasons, from the incredible poverty to the incredible beauty of the place to, you know, native um, pagan teaching, which was you know everywhere, and and but you know to people who were actually believers. And um, I remember the, the the guy who was there. You know, I remember we sang this little thing before meals at night. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. 
1 John 4, 7 and 8. We sang that every, every evening together. I mean, it's just so simple. If you love people, you're of God. If you don't love people, you're not of God. Yeah, I know it's a struggle. I know it's imperfect. I know all that baseline. If you love people, you are of God. And if you don't love, beloved, let us love one another. We're family. Love is of God, so he gives it to us. It's a divine virtue. It's a gift. COVID couldn't love any of you except the Lord has loved him first. So it's like this. It drops down from the Holy Trinity in the person of Christ, empowered by the Spirit, at the will of the Heavenly Father. It strikes his heart and makes a right angle and sprays out on all of you. That's how the church works. Let us love one another, for love is of God. It drops down from heaven and sprays out. For he who loves is born of God, baptismal reference, and knows God. You learn as you grow, Eucharistic reference. He who does not love, if you don't do this, if it doesn't, one, if you don't belong to him, if he hasn't baptized you, if he hasn't grabbed you, if he hasn't given you a spirit, if he hasn't given you your gift, if he hasn't loved you, he who does not love does not know God. It's a sad thing. You know, people who just don't know God, they see things, they see Kovic loving people in the way of Jesus, and they can love people too. But there's a huge difference between if he gives money to a homeless person on the street and a pagan, those two things are as different as East is from West. One is a divine virtue, the other is just an imitation, an echo, a shadow. Love is of God, and he who loves knows God, is born of God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Baseline, what holds the Holy Trinity together? Love. That's why St. Augustine spoke of the Holy Spirit as being divine love. The person of the Holy Spirit is divine love. He holds, he's the bond between the Father and the Son. It's a very interesting way to talk, which is very good as long as you preserve the personhood. He's a third person. And so when the Spirit comes to you, as Luther said in the Heidelberg Disputation, God doesn't come down and look around a room and love the lovable. He said he comes and he loves the unlovable, and he makes them lovable. So, I mean, if God's, you know, sorted out the room, like this half of the room is lovable so you get all the gifts and this half of the room is unlovable so you don't get anything, that's not how it works. We're all bums. We're all unlovable. God doesn't come down, look around the room, and love the lovable. There are no lovable to love. Make sense? I mean, come on, look at your, quickly, look at your spouse. Okay, now turn away. <laughs> Think about your children throwing up downstairs. They're not lovable. And yet, what? This is great, man. I got, went over to a kid this morning. I'm like, what are you doing here? He's like, hey, I'm in timeout. I said, really? How long are you in timeout? He says, till my daddy comes back. I said, hey, according to the fourth commandment, I'm your father. <laughs> I said, I could turn you loose right now. He just looked at me like, he said, that's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, there's a kid that loves his old man and obeys, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's not going to work. Okay, we'll work on next year, next time. We'll keep working on it. Quote your old man the fourth commandment. We'll see what happens next time. Oh, I declare general amnesty for all kids that are in timeout waiting for their old man to come back. See, let us love one another. We're family. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. Divine virtue, boom, comes to you. And now, Dan, your job, and this is not easy, is to look around the room and love them all. They're flipping unlovable. And if you want to come in this week, I'll buy you lunch. We can talk all over how unlovable they are. I mean, I come on. We want but, to 
Uh, yeah, exactly. But here's the thing. They'll be having lunch across town talking about how unlovable we are, too. So it's, gonna, it's all going to cut in the same. Beloved, let us love one another. You know, you look around the room. Why? Not because you're such a good guy, because you've been loved and you know that it's better to live in love than live in hate. You know, one of the... Um, Let's see, how do I say this most carefully? One of the um, great reliefs in life is to not have to remember the ill that people have done to you. And so you don't have to prepare for the next time you meet them. You get what I'm saying to you? you? Think about it. You've all had people who have done something to you and it didn't go so well. And then you sometimes bump into them in a grocery aisle or, you know, at a school event, and you have that awkward, and then you have the who's going to get the first word into what's going to be said, or are people just going to spin around and walk the other way? You know what I'm talking about? Well, maybe this has never happened to you. (laughs) One of the great gifts of loving people is once you love them and you know that Jesus will sort it out, you actually don't have to remember what they did to you, and so you don't have to have some answer prepared for whatever happens next. Because really all you need to do is love them. Does that make sense? You might just give it a try. It's nice enough to um, say to people whom you had troubles with, you know, God love you. The famous, famous Eifert, Eifert language, God love you. He always used to say that one. Like, God love you. Which is, or, you know, God have mercy on you, or God bless you. That's about as much as you need to say. Um, working out all the Antichrist is a serious conversation. That doesn't, that doesn't start until people know that they're loved. So, the Heavenly Father loves Kovic, loves him by baptizing him and giving him his Holy Spirit. He does that based on the Son who came and died for him and forgave him. So now he gets to participate in divine things, particularly divine love. God is love. He gives Kovic love. Kovic looks around the room and sees that you're all horribly unlovable. And yet he remembers that the Heavenly Father loved us all when we were horribly unlovable. The next thing that's going to be said in here is about how God always makes the first move. So you say, well, I do what God does. You know, faith agrees with God. I say what Jesus says, do what Jesus does. So what does Jesus do? He looks around the room at all the unlovable people, and he doesn't remember all their sins. Their sins are far as east is from west. He doesn't have a story ready for them. He looks around. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're all goofy. They're, you know, they're even, he just said, I want some rest, and they beat him to the punch, and they're there waiting for him. And They were sheep without a shepherd, so he loves them. He teaches them. He feeds them. He prays for them. Looked up, broke. You should see the Eucharist there, of course. And, you know, life goes on as one big family because he set them in hundreds. It's a family reunion. That's how it is for all of you. You know, it's going to work out better or worse with people in your own life. Try to be one of the people who let it works out better, okay? You know, it's just, it's just this is what it says. This is what the text says. Yes, please. I always look for, I'm checking every time, that the, every time you pastors give a sermon, the Eucharist is always in there. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Oh yeah, it is there. Just surprised you're just glad you're keeping track. We're aiming at that. Yeah, yeah good. That's where the flesh of Jesus is. That's the touch. 
I mean, here's the thing. When I talked to you, this was Gaining's whole dissertation at St. Andrews. His whole dissertation was about how a spoken word is as, a, as much a physical touch as receiving the Eucharist, okay? And the paradigm he used was when the angel spoke to Mary. So he actually spoke, the angel spoke a fleshly Jesus into Mary. And so the whole notion is that, that speaking is fleshly. And the now, I don't know if he said this, but I'll say it. So the distinction in some sense between word and sacrament is false because speaking it's a fleshly experience. I speak something, and if you could see it, it would be going through and hitting your fleshly ears, and that changes your fleshly heart, and you love people. However, it's easier at the Eucharist because it's as easy as somebody touching you. I mean, you can't say, he didn't touch me. And you can say, he touched me, I didn't want it, or he touched me, it didn't feel good, or he touched me, it felt great, but the truth is, he touched me. And that's why the Eucharist is such a thing to hold on to. Your baptism, too. People who are adult baptism, every time they touch that water, like, that's where I got touched. But many of us don't remember that, and that's okay because the family reminds us. That's our family story. So the Eucharist is shooting fish in a barrel. You know, it's easy, and that's why we do it. And you shouldn't forget about it. And that's why it's the center of life, you know. All right, we'll do something else next week. We'll do the rest of this chapter next week. But it's about, you know, about how God loves people and, you know, how you should love them too. It's, and just, you know, in a, in a kind way. Pressure's off. Just go out and find people that you can the kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks. See you. Be good. Love you.